0: And now we move on to Sound Mind, Sound Body, a Spiritual Remedy. And to talk to us about Sound Mind, Sound Body, a Spiritual Remedy, we have Dr. Paudal, Doctor of Medicine and Doctor of Philosophy, Co-Chair, Education Committee, Sri Sai World Foundation, and Vishanti Council. So let's put our hands together for Dr. Paudal. At the one room speak. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, Om Sai Ram. Thank you very much for inviting me here for this beautiful country, uh, country I love, uh, and meet with all the family. Thank you, Brother Ravinder, uh, for this wonderful invitation. Uh, Santa, thank you. Um, I think. Okay. In Singapore I sense a huge change with Vasanta at the leader. And I am amazed that in such a short time she has managed to take control of the leadership here and organize this forum. And that is really speaks volume to me. So I am hoping that uh, Singapore will be on a very pastribility of growth in all the departments with unity and love. Now uh, I'll start with a story that uh, happened to be with Swami. I used to like to meditate and I became very skilled at meditating for a long time and I had a room, shrine room outside our home so that I was not disturbed. And I used to be sleeping really quick. This meditation, i come out you know the world is a beautiful place and I have all these visuals during the meditation until I went to Swami. Swami called us an interview and he said, uh, What's this that you do in your room? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Meditate, Swami. And he said, Meditate. Meditation all the time, not confining yourself in a room away from the then he said, who is God? He said, God within me. And Brother Sadhananda has been talking about the God within. He so said, God within me. He said, He's so small, we fit into you. He's everywhere. And then he said, service. Service, sir. Now that was a very important message to me. So on this occasion, I need to contact. I no, think oh, that is the chin, the clicker. Uh, uh, where's the pointer? The point Thank you very much. Uh, uh, is that, that a pointer or is that a clicker? This all is the pointer. No, 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 this is the pointer. No, i What is this? Huh? That's the pointer. <laughs> <laughs> there are two. Why well, you keep one to her? <laughs> <laughs> we do everything together. So <laughs> Why might not you do this together? <laughs> now, I want to talk about, you know, we've heard about the institutional medicine and we've heard about the doctor-patient relationship and my focus is going to be on our own internal ecology. That is understanding our own uh, mind and body and seeing exactly how we manage our internal ecology uh, to the best possible way. Now as a medical practitioner I have been witness to the growth of medicine over the last five decades, over in fact, and seeing its tremendous change in medicine. And I've been reflecting on how medicine has changed and why it has changed. So, um, can you do that? Ah, okay. And I says that there are three phases. There's a really important book that has come out called The Rise and Fall of Modern Medicine. And I was reading that with fascination. I've not read the whole book, but just flipping through it, I could sense that there are three phases that we have gone through. Now, the origin of medicine, the nexus between medicine and spirituality, very, very ancient, Atharvaveda is one of the texts, holy texts, which uh, is about medicine. Now, we had religious scriptures and medicine less together, and. uh, uh, priests were the custodians of uh, not just uh, medicine, but also of cosmology, and all sorts of things. But that medicine, traditional medicine, were not founded on a scientific basis. So a couple of hundred years ago, we went through a revolution where Christianity and the teaching of the Bible were, were in direct conflict with what the scientists were finding in their labs in Europe. And as a result, in science we specifically exclude uh, belief in any faith or in God. Uh, science does not talk about God because science is based on investigating the of phenomena. Basically, the Cartesian system says mind is separate from matter, so that we are an observer and we are an objective observer. Okay, and that, as a result, resulted in spectacular changes in the way we live. Just that, that, that understanding. However, we have had major advances in medicine really from the 40s onwards. And the biggest impact on medicine has been the discovery of chemotherapy agents and, uh, and antibiotics. <coughs> over the years, over the next 50 years, we have seen people becoming disillusioned with medicine not just for the commercial reasons, but because the initial impact of medicine as a discipline was on managing uh, infectious diseases. But now we're coming pro- across diseases that are not such simple solutions. These are diseases called, in terms of uh, degenerative changes in our cells, in our systems. <coughs> Arthritis, heart disease, cancers, obesity all sorts of problems that we see. That there are no simple solutions to this. And that has resulted in people wanting to take a look. So we went into a second phase, and that is on the basis of the dualistic system, distribution went in technology. We heard Dr. Sarkan say that we become technocrats, that we become somewhat hard in our hearts, right? that we don't have to take this And also the doctors are starting to have to face to face with existential problems of death and dying. I want to tell a story. Uh, when I was uh, a, a senior registrar in the uh, uh, UK, we had an Australian surgeon, training surgeon, coming to work with us. And you know how the Australians speak? Uh, one patient was going home on that day. He said, Mr. So-and-so, you're going home to die. And I was listening to this. To die. So the you're no, going I don't, don't to die, even today. So I had to go and translate the word to die to today. Now, Dr. Savanand has been saying that are all going to die. You're all going home to die. Okay? I'm not speaking as an Australian, teacher, but I'll say you're all going home today. So feel relaxed. You... Alright, so that now the third one is not only existential. Um, existential confrontation with patients. But also an emerging integrative uh, medicine model which combines traditional medicine with the we are beginning to understand the scientific basis of traditional medicine. And so we are beginning to get and Swami's model hospitals are a prime example of integrated medicine. We don't there is a lot of wisdom in traditional medicine but we need to understand what that wisdom is all about. So, next one. <coughs> I've got a good um, value added to my presentation here. <laughs> now, what we've found, there are non-biological um, areas, non-biological determinants for health. Health and happiness is not contained in pills, and thoughts, beliefs, state of mind, psychological, uh, uh, what is happening inside your psyche, lifestyle, social factors. They are all protective of health, and in fact they are bigger determinants to health than medicine, and I'll come to that later. Religion and spirituality, and we are going to talk about that, toxic stress. We talked about stress. Stress can also be good thing in moderation. The relationship between stress and performance is a real one, but beyond a certain level it becomes toxic stress. And we will talk about, I'll talk about toxic stress and this impact on body systems. And then there are these problems that doctors come across and in the development of holistic medicine. So all these things are <coughs> giving us a new area. Now, let me look at how it started. Uh, hidden Dog established the relationship between cigarette smoking and lung cancer. And that took a lot of convincing that an environment can cause cancer. But after that, The medical scientists started to look at uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, the degenerative disease, arthritis, and so on, and started to find that there are environmental changes Uh, that environment can give rise to disease processes. A study was done in England a long time ago. A study between bus drivers and bus conductors. The bus drivers are always under stress. The bus conductors are not, and the rate of uh, cardiovascular disease in the bus conductors was less than the bus drivers. So there are these factors which are environmental factors which determine the level of our health. Okay, here is a quote from Swami which really puts the whole teaching in a nutshell. It says, man, <coughs> like a man sunk in poverty, we have a treasure that we are sitting on but we don't know that treasure. And Dr. Sadhanath has elaborated, that treasure is the divine presence within you, the capacity to heal from within. Okay, he says that man is suffering but he is unaware. I want to accent this word unaware. That we are not aware of our own possibilities. We are not aware of the divinity within. And then he says that he has come to tell us about the treasure that we have within but we have forgotten. So his main mission is to remind us and to create an awareness a continued awareness, and I want to emphasize this, and we will be talking about that. So um, we have to unpack the strategies in ways that we can foster this awareness. It's not easy to to have that awareness. We know knowledge is different from actually experiential reality. We got to create an experiential reality of this particular. <coughs> Currently we don't have the strategies, or a lot of people don't have the strategies to actually cultivate that continuous awareness. So, next one. Here, this is a, um, a taken from John Travis in, in the late 80s in the United States. He started this business of illness, wellness continuum. And it's a wonderful concept to have in mind in terms of how we take a look at disease and wellness. Sound body body and sound mind are not static, they are dynamic. It is in how we live moment to moment, what we are thinking and doing. And also the same thing is true of spirituality. Spirituality is also dynamic, it's not a static concept, it's a dynamic concept. We live spirituality moment to moment. The basis of sound mind and body are the twin pillars of what he calls (coughs) self-responsibility. and self-love. Not self-love as indulgence, but self-love in terms of understanding who we are and living in accordance with the highest possibility that we have within us. So on the illness wellness continuum, the treatment paradigm that we have in medicine, at the best, can take us to the neutral point. So we have signs and symptoms, and we have disability, and if we don't watch out, we will actually end up dying. But the treatment paradigm, whether it is surgery, whether it is drugs, whether it is chemotherapy, can take you up to the point of neutral point. Swami showed by His own example that disease does not mean disability. He was limited, but His mission was expanding, And that is a very important thing. All this illness, we are all going to have illness and we are all going to on, we are all going on to die. Right? <laughs> but it depends upon, on this one, we could be dying, but we could be We could have complete serenity, we could have total faith in Swami, or in divinity that we have, we could be at peace with ourselves, even when we are dying. So it depends upon, if we are on this side, where we are looking, if we, we could be healthy on this side, but we'd be depressed and miserable and be looking towards death. We are negatively gearing our mind towards death. So, in the wellness paradigm, we are looking towards wellness. And the responsibility then is on us. We have symptoms, we need to learn from that. We need to be aware of what he called body trust. The signal that the body and the mind give us constantly. Because the body and the mind is a biofeedback system. It gives us signals all the time of what needs to be done. When we have a headache from stress, there's a signal. When we have a stiff neck because we have been sitting down for a long time in the front of a computer, it's a signal. When we have some kind of a pain in the gut, we have eaten unhealthy food, it's a signal. The body is a biofeedback. And the same is true of mind. So we have to take and look at awareness and then education education in the wider sense. What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me right now? And if we take those signals, then it results in growth. And we could be on this side but looking that way, we will have premature death. We could be sitting on this side looking that way, we would have optimal health. So what it is, what is it to have optimal health? Meaning to have a positive frame of mind, full of positive emotions being optimistic, performing our our best that we can, that's positive health. And so we have profound possibilities that we really need to take a look So the care of our body and mind is our own responsibility.
1: We can go a long way towards wellness
0: by taking the responsibility and becoming conscious of the signal that the body is giving us. So absence of symptoms is not sound body and mind. It is positive health is a positive involvement in the care of your body and mind. So the ordinary mind is highly distracted. We know that we can't focus for very long time, what so he calls man-monkey. But he also says that the entire universe is created by your mind. So mind is a very powerful agent for change, provided we know how to use it. And what we have to do is to become conscious of how we live. So, conscious living, self-awareness, self-monitoring, self-review, audit these are practical spiritual. And Dr. Sutherland ended up by saying that in order for us to be well, it doesn't depend upon just the state of our body and mind. It depends upon how we are pro- uh, how we are processing the experience that we now, does it mean that modern medicine has no place in the wellness? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we have to use modern medicine, the technology of modern medicine, alongside wellness. And it is the responsibility of the patients to have a, an attitude towards wellness. And we talk, we talk beautifully about what is required. And this I will call practical spirituality. So, when we work together with what is available technologically nowadays and what we can do ourselves, we maximize our wellness, we maximize recovery from disease. Now, next one. This slide, this slide has been taken from a book um, I wrote a long time ago on um, it's, it's in, the dynamic dharma for integrated living for you youthful. And in that one, I reviewed all Swami's teachings on the body and mind of ego and I, Amkara, etc., etc. And this one says the human body is a temple of God. It's a vehicle <coughs> even the gods aspire to possess. It is a challenge to collective nectar. It is the instrument of that in action. So this is a sound body. This is what is the purpose of the body. He says, do not divert all your energies to caring for the body. The body is a tool, it's an instrument. We have to use it. And we have to use it well, but we have to look after it, just as we look after our instruments and tools. So he says, cast away the sheets. And these are the five sheets. And he says, identify, I'm not this body. I am not this mind. Okay. Now, next one. This is a very elementary lesson, Lord. We know that the mind is the inner world is made up of uh, the mind, is made of a discursive mind, uh, intellect, um, a sense of I-ness, and, and uh, chitta, which is um, a, which is memory of past experiences, past memories as well as the willpower. And here is the, the where the body, senses, mind, buddhi, and, and atma sits. You see that Swami said that. of the energy from the Atma comes into buddhi. But from the buddhi to mind, there is a lot of dispersion of that energy. So if we can receive the buddhi into the mind and manage the amkara, which is really the mere mind, amkara, mamkara, and mind, the circle of egoism, then we can progress towards Atma. But this can hijack our agendas. Because we get concerned with me and mine. So, in conscious living, he said, buddhi, we have, Sadhguru has talked about faith, sadhana, fastness, and, and our motivation, motivation if you like. <laughs> So, and it's made up of making the right decisions, <coughs> which is how we have to and at the hand, five human values, the power to control our listening. I think, for the Savai, we going to talk about this cosmic uh, uh, rhythm, uh, truth, divine power, and that is the components of buddhi. So we want to use our buddhi we have to really use all these, and I think in your description of purity I forget that what we are saying is that buddhi is the one that is purity. Okay, so uh, next one. <coughs> This is not to take the place of Dr. Sutherland, as a neurosurgeon, nor a lesson on neurosurgery. This is simply for me to tell you that the brain is a complex organ, but within that, there are very defined areas, named areas, with very definite functions. I won't go into that, but I think that there are frontal lobes, there are the executive tasking, there, there are other things and also there is the emotional center within, Memory center, um, also the center that regulates our capacity to respond to fear and so on. So we Now, this brain's next one. Brain is the one that we use normally to um, to navigate our way through life. And we know that if we use the brain, there's a principle called "use it or lose it." When we use the brain, uh, so this, this is uh, if, uh, this image, neuro that if it's a, just a reading text, a naive reader, but if you are reading again and again and again, you actually amplify the areas of the brain that you're using again and again. That's, in other words, you create new, new neural pathways. And we are uh, uh, creating new neural pathways all the time. Even this morning when you came in and when you walk away, your brain wiring will be different. And also we produce new neurons. So that when we use the brain, and there's a book called the, the Brain That Changes Itself. The brain is continuously changing. Next one. Here. These are the impact on the brain and the body when we undertake spiritual activity. Okay. We get increase in the parasympathetic activity our, our our system. We slow our breathing rate. We slow our heart rate. We feel more in control. Uh, the frontal lobes and the prefrontal cortex, which are the task areas, which, are, which have got the, uh, the values and so on, is the area that is associated with value, that is activity. And in fact, if you continue to uh, practice spirituality, with aging we lose some of the volume in the brain, but we don't if we are meditating regularly. So for brain health, meditation is a very good thing to do. The right lobes, which are really the area which take body signals, they quieten down so we are, we are more peaceful. Love and compassion activate the, the reward centers so that we can have more dopamine and serotonin and these changes have the capacity to give us capacity of concentration. Okay. Okay. There is another area in the brain called the insula which controls our fluid in intelligence that becomes larger. There is an area in the brain which retains memory that becomes larger. So, uh, in our spiritual practices, we are making a lot of changes in our brain, which are all positive. We are also uh, making a lot of changes and I'm coming to this in our immune cell responses, in our stress and growth hormones, and in in endorphin levels, and several markers of inflammation. Uh, Okay, next one. Here is, we in fact have three brains, not one. When I talk about body feedback, we are getting feedback from our head brain, in the form of tension and so forth, we're also getting from the gut. You know, we say, it's my gut reaction. In my guts I don't feel right what's happening. This is a new emerging field, very exciting field, that may actually prove a very important field. Some people are saying that this is going to be as big a breakthrough as quantum physics is in in physics. And of course, we've got the heart brain which tells us uh, about feelings. We've got to listen to the the signals that these three brains give us on a continuing basis so that we can then regulate ourselves. Yeah. Now, in yogic practices we, we recognize that there are many other centers which currently uh, the mainstream medicine does not recognize but some of the fields in psychotherapy, in particular the the psychotherapy dealing with deep trauma, they recognize these systems. So it's beginning to see, uh, beginning melt in terms of science between traditional medicine, at least Indian traditional medicine, to some extent Chinese traditional medicine, and also the mainstream medicine. Next one. Okay, this is another very important concept, and that is the concept of epigenetics. Um, again, Dr. Sabha is going to talk about this. It shows us that an environment has quite an impact on cellular biology. Now, to this extent, that our beliefs, and Tessin is very keen to have this catchphrase, which I think is a lovely one, that beliefs turn into chemicals. (laughs) Beliefs are chemicals. In our beliefs, we can send signals into our DNA, and so that if we are prone to a particular disease by genetics, we can actually prevent that happening, provided we undertake to live in an environment that will not allow the gene to express. And this is becoming recognized, and I hope Dr. Sabha will talk about this, as a very major breakthrough in understanding cancers and how to prevent cancers. The background to this is there was a scientist, a, uh, a New Zealand scientist, who was investigating a particular gene that is associated with a very high level of crime, aggression and crime, that losing control over your mind and, and becoming very angry and then uh, in terms in violence. And he was investigating this for some time and then he decided to check out his own genes. A very nice, affable, peaceful, gentle soul who investigated that and found that he had the gene. Right? And then worked out that it is the environment which can actually prevent the gene. In other words, we can undertake when we have a genetic tendency, propensity to have a particularly lethal gene, bad gene, a cancer gene or whatever, then we can um, undertake to alter the way in which we think, the way in which we live, the environment that we are in, what we eat, all the things that Dr. Uh, you know, Southern Ireland mentioned about purity, and we can modify gene expression. This is quite a, something that your thinking can prevent your DNA from manifesting something that might happen if you did not live uh, in 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 a particular way. Okay, next one. Now I want to talk about stress. Chronic stress is beginning to be chronic toxic stress is beginning to be recognized as a very very important crucial input into your cells, which you determine the the uh, the outcome, which is negative in terms of heart disease, cancer, arthritis, all the chronic. Inflammation related to uh, degeneration. So, when we are in toxic stress, we send signals to the brain, and three things happen. We get all sorts of uh, chemicals, hormones being poured out into our system, and over a long period of time, they cause degeneration organs. In addition, we find that there are behavioral changes. People smoke, people get tense, people get angry, people go and uh, have the drugs, people, um, road rage, etc., etc., we know that. They, they can undertake uh, a, lot of a lot of things that they regret afterwards. Right? So, it changes behaviour. Also, it has an impact on the immune system. Sister Vasanthva's story of being able to modulate your immune system through surrender. Amazing. A thought, a style of life that can prevent spread of disease. Want to talk about this, the next one? About the impact of negative emotions. Negative emotions, uh, anger, fear, sadness, depression. And basically the, uh, there are three fear, anxiety, anger, hostility, sadness, depression, they all lead to death. And there have been so many studies on negative emotions, I've only taken three here. One is the negative emotion from death of a close relative, when clustered, particularly with another adverse event, leads to early death. Okay, this is in a big, controlled, nice study. Another one is the heart attack survivors. If they are exposed then to an adverse event, if there's a cluster of negative events, they give rise to twice the death rate for the next three years. And if they're isolated, it's even higher. Okay, so the study of one million married people, these are married people, right? Normal married people. Those who became uh, widows, 17% higher death rate in because of the stress, as opposed to those who were not widows. The same with, with the widows and widows. Very reliable data to show that negative emotions can give rise to So, genuine spiritual practitioners, you know that genuine uh, spiritual practitioners have been shown to live on an average seven years longer. Aren't we lucky? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to have, I have to tell you this. Last time I came here, I talked to a group and I said, Would you like to live long? Raise hands. Nobody raised hands. <laughs> I said, Singapore, what is wrong? Whenever I go in the world, I ask, you know, do you want to live longer? Everybody puts their hands up. What's wrong? No reaction. Would you like to live long? I asked you, would you like to live long? Raise hands. Yes. You see, only a few people <laughs> Okay, they said, then one person quietly said, I would like to live long as long as I don't have dementia, <laughs> another one said. As long as I don't have Parkinson's, another one said. As long as I don't have heart attacks. So I think when I say live long, I mean good quality, long. <laughs> <day. Nice. coughs> okay. Health protective factors. Uh, health protective uh, factors. I'll talk about mechanisms in a minute. Lifestyle factors in spirituality, like social support. Moderate alcohol, most people who uh, are spiritual will not be taking alcohol, they will be very moderate. They're probably not slow. They have more physical activity, and they'll be vegetarians. The vegetarian diet affects the biome, the bacteria, and the gut, very good for them. And they produce chemicals, which are very good for us. So we really need to undertake an ecological, agricultural kind of approach to our own gut, what we put into the gut. Remaining diet. How many of you are married, raise (laughs) hands? Okay, (laughs) remain married because remaining married, taking better care of ourselves. (laughs) And in 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 spirituality, adversity like Svasanta shared with us, actually it strengthens your leg of spirituality. If you're on on the on the wellness model, it'll strengthen your spirituality. Okay, beliefs for confronting with life's dilemmas, meditative activities and prayers, uh, finding meaning and purpose through spirituality, engaging in altruistic behavior, going and doing service, being concerned with others, uh, peaceful confrontation <coughs> with the fear of illness, and also with death. And the idea of death is congruent with belief. You know, I am going to go and be with Swami. Okay, Then I'm not scared. He's going to look after me. So the, these beliefs are very powerful protectors in terms of our long area in spirituality. The next one, here is the actual mechanism. We have, when we are, we are spiritual, we have better coping mechanism it's called religious coping. Much better cope with adversity and, and adverse life events. We surrender, we make confessions, we pray, we, we have a supportive community with us. Our beliefs are coherent. These are all protective mechanisms. We have inner strength to face adversity. We have a sense of serenity because we have a little bit of meaning and purpose in our life. And we are connected with something greater. Um, spirituality is the perspective because we trust in God and actually adversity has important lessons for us. Religious coping is associated with lower depression, but better adjustment and lower stress levels. So these are the various mechanisms in which spirituality supports us. Connection. Yet, before concluding, I want to give you these two very really powerful quotes of Swami. He says that they have a the vehicle. Our body is a vehicle that even God's aspire to. Us. You know that God seeks to come in human form so that they could utilize their intelligence discrimination, detachment, etc., that the human body is capable of. And, you know, talking about the rarity of human birth, this is what Lord Buddha said. He said, if you can put a little ring in an open ocean, and if in the ocean is a turtle that comes once up in a hundred years to take a breath, what are the chances that the turtle will come up and put its neck through the floating ring in, in the open circle, open ocean. That is how, where it is. Okay. So we are very fortunate to be living at a time where we have a good country, a good guru, good teaching, and also human birth. So in, in that, the diha is not just a vehicle, but it's also a back system. We have to learn to listen to our body and, and remain in constant touch with the signals that we are receiving. If you've been sitting too long, you'll find that your bottom begins to hurt. It's a signal, change your position. right? So we need to become, listen to the body. And the mind, Mind is his, he who masters the mind can direct his life straight and steady on the path of truth, righteousness, peace and universal love. He can become an that the child of immortality. How many of you want to become child of law? immortality? Raise hand. <laughs> Only 5, six people. <laughs> okay. Well, you are child of immortality whether you like or not. Okay. <laughs> Only you <laughs> need to be So mind too is a feedback system and we need to listen to the mind. Last one. Here is the conclusion. Now there is scientifically based connection between some men mind, body and spirituality. This is not like the traditional medicine when we had no proof. Many people find comfort in having a proof, at least the scientists do. This connection is through modification of hormones, our nervous system, immune system and epigenetics. These are all mechanisms that are being investigated through scientific Sound mind constructs personal beliefs, positive thoughts, self-efficacy, and self-confidence. And these things are associated with the long term. the world. Spirituality supports practices and behaviors in which are protected against many diseases, including heart disease, cancers, and autoimmune diseases, arthritis, and many others. Spirituality works through several mechanisms: strong faith, positive emotion, optimism. Good social relationships, finding meaning. And these are all antidotes to negative thoughts and negative emotions. Next one. Okay. Here is the final take home message. Bhagwan's teachings of consciously and systematically cultivating sound mind and sound body is is a spiritual remedy for negative thoughts and feelings. By triggering biochemical, hormonal, autonomic nervous system and immunological changes. Spirituality not only prevents degenerative diseases, but also promotes positive about know, happiness and popularity. And it takes you to God. Thank you.